This is Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga, recorded at Halepule on beautiful Kauai. Each month we cover topics that can help you find balance in your life through food, good living, and the eight limbs of Raja Yoga. Learn more at halepule.com. And here's the show. Hello everyone, this is Myra and Kelsey with Holly Pule's Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga podcast series. The past month has been filled with activity here at Holly Pule. We've had guests having Ayurvedic treatments and families learning more about yoga, Ayurveda, and organic farming. They've been from all over the world, including Canada, Switzerland, and even Uruguay. We enjoy having the guests, but it's continual change that takes a little bit to get used to. Yeah, it's a good reminder for us to stay regular with our practices. You know, as change happens in our home, in our environment, we can still feel grounded and balanced inside. The holidays can really stir up emotions, creating a lot of mental activity. You know, and with the amount of excess vata in our modern living, we have so much anxiety and fear and worry and depression, and it's a really common experience for people during the holidays. So, well... Getting off track at these times seems like it's a normal thing to do. It really doesn't have to be, and it's definitely not a natural thing to do. And more importantly, it doesn't have to happen at all. So everyone experiences imbalance at some point. And when you practice Ayurveda and yoga, there are plenty of easy and practical tools to get you moving in the correct direction again, good health and living your truth. All of our guests and clients who had consultations recently have experienced the, the, that coming back to balance after the holidays. It can be really quite simple, just using simple tools of Ayurveda and yoga. Most of our recent visitors and clients have had digestive issues during the holidays, and their question is if there's a way to reset their digestion afterward. Yeah, there are a few options. There is something called kunyi, which is a soupy rice concoction that is made to aid digestion and bring the digestifier agni back to a stronger place. It's just rice with water, ginger, turmeric, a little salt, and ghee. Kunyi is, is really a wonderful thing to have anytime you feel compromised. And you can make it as thin as a 1 to 12 ratio with water. And you can then take it and make it as thick as 1 to 4 ratio. So if, the, if you're recovering from an illness, for example, then a thinner uh, soupy concoction would be better, and that would give, your, uh, give you some nourishment, but also give your agony a chance to rejuvenate. And then you can gradually make it thicker, and then you can graduate from that to something more substantive. And then you can also have ginger tea. I didn't use um, fresh ginger prior to learning about Ayurveda. And when I first started making ginger tea, I used powdered ginger. And you quickly steered me away from that. Well, yeah, because the powdered ginger is more warming than the fresh ginger. And sometimes when we dry the herbs, they uh, change qualities. And, and that's one example of it. So it's better to use fresh ginger and you only need just a, a little bit in there to, uh, to have a really nice effect. And it's, it's helpful for, for balancing all the doshas and for strengthening the agni. So you can use that then ginger to make ginger tea. You just make a couple of slices, very thin slices. 
and you could soak it in water overnight uh, or just put it into water and bring it to a boil and then let it sit for a few minutes and put some honey with it and, and you have a lovely tea that will you could sip through the day and uh, it, it helps to strengthen your acne. I also like when we put the licorice powder, a little bit of licorice in it, help calm the vata. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's really a nice one. A kitchery cleanse is another option that you can use to rejuvenate your digestive tract and to strengthen agni. You can have it for a meal or you can have it for one day a week. That's something that we do here at Halipule. Or you could also opt to have it for two to seven days or even longer. I love having kitchery on Saturdays here. It's such a great way to feel fully nurtured and give my agni a break. And my digestion the next day feels so much better after a day of kitchery. And we have a great recipe for kitchery on our blog. Simple and grounding, easy to make, especially if you have a pressure cooker. Right. You know, making kitchery with a pressure cooker does make it easier, but you can do it without a pressure cooker also. So having your agni be strong isn't just about having your belly feel good. It's actually about your immune system being strong as well. You know, there's something in Ayurveda called ojas, and ojas is your vitality. You know, it's our, our immunity, and it's our, our emotional and spiritual blissfulness. And so when we can feed Agni well, Agni feeds ojas. So it has a much bigger impact than what it seems like in the moment. A few people we've had recently visiting have asked why Agni is so important. They don't relate digestion to health. Well, as I mentioned, you know, it's an integral part of our vitality. But if the Agni isn't strong enough to digest the food you eat, then it becomes toxins in the body and the mind. So not only are we not going to feel that great, but we're also starting the disease process with weak Agni. You know, there's physical signs of weak Agni. And things like not sweating at all, having a dull, groggy feeling in the morning, dark circles under the eyes. And then for some people, it's burping and and a feeling of being bloated or gassiness. And when the Agni is weak, we'll feel mentally dull and lethargic. And um, eventually, we start losing our enthusiasm for life. Yes, I walked around like that for many years of my life. And for a long time, I didn't even realize that I could feel any different than that. Mostly because everyone around me felt that way too. So I remember when I first started having consultations with you, and I was sick three out of four weeks most months of the year. (laughs) And I didn't think it had anything to do with digestion and eating. And now, I don't get sick. And if I start to feel myself going in that direction, I know what to do to turn myself around. I feel like a complete different person today than only a few years ago. And I really don't miss sore throats, coughs, and colds at all. Yes, there are many people today that expect that they will get sick after the holidays, and so many do. But, you know, when people overeat and the agni gets weak and the immune system gets compromised, they get sick. It's really that simple. And it's not mysterious or surprising at all. So the best way to keep your agni strong in general and especially when it's been weakened by something like overeating, is to eat really simple food that's easy to digest and to have meals at regular times. 
And so this is also good for balancing the vata dosha, which influences all the other doshas. And vata is responsible for those symptoms that we mentioned earlier, things like stress and anxiety and depression and fearful and worry. And gas and bloating. That too. (laughs) Uncomfortable parts. You know, people are so concerned about eating the best quality food, which is really important. But we must eat food that we can actually digest. If the body can't digest the food, it doesn't matter how good it is because you won't receive the nutrients. By easy to digest, you mean food that is cooked, correct? I do. Now, it doesn't have to all be cooked, but most of it needs to be for many people. You know, it depends a little bit on the dosha, on your constitution, and that's something that you can learn more about by having a consultation with a a qualified Ayurvedic practitioner. But in general, we started cooking food so that it makes it digestible for us. And there are some people who have a naturally stronger agni or digestive fire than others. And so they can handle some raw food in that. But otherwise, the most of us really need cooked food most of the time, and particularly in the winter time, and if there's any compromise in the system. So even vegetables that are easier to digest or lighter than grain or bean, those should be cooked as well? Yeah, they really need to be cooked most cases. Now, it doesn't mean you overcook them. It just means that you just cook them lightly, especially you can tell with many of them because their color will change, and you just get that color change. And you can go a little bit farther, but you don't want to make them mushy, of course. Some people think when you say cooking it that it means mushy. And um, that's really not what we mean at all. Yeah, we have a few posts on our website about how to plan your meals and how to get the most out of what you eat. And they're in the library of self-healing on our website. And, you know, Ayurveda and yoga are both about learning to live in harmony with nature. So if you go off and think, oh, I'm going to go eat a bunch of junk, and then do that because you know that you can then come back and have a kitchery cleanse, is a really harmful attitude and action. It's not good for the body or the mind. And this is particularly bad if you do this repeatedly. So I would suggest that you just leave it alone until you're ready. And then be very gentle and kind with how you treat yourself around meals. They're meant to be sacred. It's meant to be um, a connection between you and nature. So the most important things are regular meals, regular meal times, and chewing thoroughly. Those are really important points in terms of strengthening your agni and bringing you back into balance. And then let go of that self-judgment. That really just holds us back from having the practices of Ayurveda and yoga be effective because they're both based in our own direct experience. So be honest about you know, how your choices are resulting and how you feel. And, and if you want different results, then you'll start to make some different decisions. So it's really about self-responsibility in both cases. We have a question here about lifestyle. What do you suggest as a good dinacharya when you have little time throughout the day? Well, the dinacharya is our daily practices. That's what that word refers to. And if we're asking the question that I have little time throughout the day, then we have to step back and wonder, okay, wonder what the priorities are in life. 
and make sure that we're not either overcommitting ourselves, which is a common thing these days, and, and not really a very healthy thing. You know, it seems like we need to do all these things, and yet when we do too much, then we end up getting sick and, and having difficulties, and then it doesn't get done as well. So adhinacharya is something that is uh, done regularly. It's the things that we choose in life. So many people choose as their dinacharya. They might get up and uh, brush their teeth and take a shower, and then they sit and drink coffee and read a newspaper, for example. And today, what we're suggesting is something very different than that. So you might get up and go ahead and clean yourself and that, but we'd also suggest things like a neti pot, using that regularly, which is something you use to, to clean the hairs in the sinuses. And then just a little, bit of, a little bit of oil in the nostrils afterwards. And we have specific instructions about how to do this um, available on our website. Then you could sit and meditate for three minutes. Even just three minutes would make a difference in how you feel. And then maybe you could see the rest of that day a little bit differently. And it might be easier then to see where you might be over committing yourself. Regular mealtimes throughout the day are really important because it helps us stay grounded and keep our agni strong, and then we enjoy it that way. After eating, though, you can just splash a little bit of cool water on the eyes and take a little stroll. Just a hundred steps even is enough, and that aids the digestion as well. You know, just a few things like that and doing it regularly will make a big difference in how you feel. There are a whole list of things that are recommended in Ayurveda as part of your dinacharya. They don't really take a long time, but some of them are a little different than what we're used to in our modern living. But they're things that are very helpful for uh, feeling better and being able to approach life in a more peaceful way. The neti pot really helped clear congestion in my sinuses for my uh, pranayama and meditation practice. And a number of clients have gotten great relief from allergies from that practice as well. Right, that's right. Yeah, it's really very useful for that. And then the the cool water on the eyes, what does that, how does that balance the system or the doshas? It helps to calm pitta dosha because pitta is related to fire in the body. And when we eat, you know, that Agni, or that fire of transformation, comes up. And pitta tends to come up too, and especially midday. So a little cool water on the eyes helps to calm that down and keep the heat out of the eyes, because pitta is responsible for the eyes. And what if you don't have pitta as your primary dosha, or pitta is not out of balance at the time? Is it still a good idea? It's still a really good idea to do that. Try it and see. You know, as I mentioned, this is really about direct experience. Really simple little things, though, can make a lot of difference. Uh, It helps the eyes to to stay cooler and not get as stressed so easily. Another way to reset your digestion and well-being is a home panchakarma. It's a process that improves your health and prevents disease and promotes longevity. And we offer it twice yearly. On our website, halepule.com, There's more information about why it's so much more powerful than modern cleansing. And now, we're back to our questions. Here's a question about meditation from one of our listeners. This new year, I really want to start meditating. My mind feels so scattered, and I've heard that meditating can help. 
I have no idea where to begin, and sitting still for an hour sounds way too hard. How can I start a meditation practice? You know, we get this kind of question often, and I always like to say to beginners that meditation doesn't have to be for a prolonged period of time to be effective. And progress will come much easier if you start the practice with a shorter time frame for sitting. Then you learn to love it and start to feel some of the benefits. And then you can let it get longer as you'd like to. You know, a regular meditation practice is what actually helps us to train the mind. You know, we get more clarity and focus, and the mind gets calmer as a result of it. And a lot of times people say, you know, oh, I can't meditate because I have a monkey mind. And, you know, that's why we meditate, because we want to start to, to just to rein that mind in a little bit and then to be able to distinguish between who I am and, and my mind. Oh, my goodness, and there's such freedom in that. Yeah, there really is. There really is. So if you think of your mind like a puppy that you would train by taking it on regular walks and teaching it how to walk on a leash, meditation, we train the mind with regular sitting. So the regularity of the practice is really important. So even if it starts out at one minute, just being willing to sit still makes a lot of difference. Um, And that it's done preferably the same time each day, but again, it's better to do it than not to do it and that you have a safe and quiet space you know, where you can uh, set your intention for bringing yourself back to balance. When we use the word regular, we don't mean rigid. You, know, you can start your regular practice now so that when your holidays come later in the year again, you'll be able to continue with it and not feel like you have to get off track with it. I remember my first attempts at meditation I didn't have much direction and basically thought and fidgeted the entire time. And five minutes at the start of an asana class at a studio felt like an eternity. But I began to love it. Something about finding those pockets of stillness when my mind got quiet kept me coming back. When I first started teaching yoga in 2009, I didn't have a pranayama or breathwork practice or a regular meditation. But I did two hours of asana a day. I'm so glad you taught me pranayama and encouraged me to prioritize meditation, even if only for a few minutes a day. Now I recognize the power of pranayama and meditation, and if I have to cut something short in my morning practice, it's the asana. I never would have thought that, my, that I would feel that way. It, just, it makes such a difference in my mind and emotions throughout the day to start with breathing and meditation. Yeah. Pranayama and meditation, they're really very powerful limbs of Ashtanga yoga, which Ashtanga means the eight limbs of yoga. When practiced regularly, they provide a a transformation that can happen, a transformation even of personality. Uh, But it doesn't happen overnight. Perhaps it could for some people, but most most of us, it doesn't happen overnight. And so the best way to start, you know, a regular meditation practice, as I mentioned, is just is to find that spot where you sit regularly and then you let your spiritual energy collect there. And it, it's important that it's not in a walkway. Uh, so if you can take a corner of a room or even if you have a, a room that you can dedicate to it, that's, that's ideal. And then you can make yourself a small altar or just something... Uh, Put some things there that help you think of the God of your heart or help you think of your connection to source or the universe. And 
then let those things be there to remind you and also to just set the energy in that space. And, you know, you don't have to sit on the floor if it's uncomfortable for you. You can sit on a pillow, you can sit on a few pillows or blankets, or you can sit in a chair. But it is important to have your spine upright and to support your body with pillows if you need it. Put yourself in a position so that your legs are not going to sleep. Ideally, your hips would be just a little bit higher than your knees if you are going to sit on the floor cross-legged. How, um, how did you sit when you first started? Could you always sit easily on the floor for long periods of time? Uh, you know, people ask me, they think, they think, oh yeah, it's always been that way, hasn't it? It, ha- it was not that way. <laughs> I uh, sat on six thick blankets in the beginning, and I was in pain even sitting like that. And I tried, I remember the first time I went to uh, a meditation gathering with a wonderful teacher named Jack Cornfield, and there were lots of people in the room, and I was absolutely tortured. My knees were up as high as my shoulders, and I couldn't relax them down at all, and I couldn't sit still, but I was so interested in the spiritual discussion that he was having after the meditation, you know, that I went back. You know, but the meditation was absolute torture. So there is progress. <laughs> so it's good if you meditate first thing in the morning because it sets the energy for the day. And you know, and ideally you would bathe first too. Uh, and at a minimum, wash your face, hands, and feet. This is from the traditional texts that that is suggested. The first thing in the morning ideally would be before six a.m. and before the sun rises. Now, the sun rises very early in some places in the summertime, so we like to say just before 6 a.m., because that time between 2 and 6 a.m. is very special. The energy is clear and calm, and some, it's, it has a particular name, actually, that's discussed in Ayurveda and yoga, and it's called Brahma Muhurti, which means it's, it's a time when the energies are there to support you. Some say the angels are most present at that time. I feel a difference in the early morning energy. Yeah, definitely. You know, but meditating anytime is okay. Yeah, except it's best not to do it right after eating, when you have a full stomach. Yeah. And for those of you who relate to Myra's story about being quite stiff in the legs and don't have a yoga practice yet, we have a, a Yoga Foundations online course that will give you a few poses to work on that will help to um, create great change. Right, it's, yeah, that's a really, that's a, a very thorough course and can help you set up a home practice. You know, it can be, I mentioned about meditating in the morning and that any time is okay. And you know, a nice time to do it, you could do a short meditation before eating at midday or in, in the evening, some people like to do it at sunset. We do a Vedic fire ceremony called Agnihotra at sunrise and sunset, and that's also a nice time to meditate right after a little ceremony like that. There's a lot of information on our website and also some links to other information about Agnihotra. If it's something that can get you back into your natural rhythms and the rhythm of nature. And we offer free guidance on that practice. It's wonderful. Yeah, there really is. We were just talking to our to guests who were actually just left today about how the practice softens the heart. Yes, it does. You know, vata dosha is most imbalanced during times of transition, 
And that includes the time around sunrise and sunset. So Agnihotra then helps to ease that so that we can move through those changes and transitions very easily and with grace. So what if someone's new to meditation, where can they start off focusing? Ah, yes. Where to put the mind. Um, You know, the best thing to do is to start by focusing on the breath because it's something we all have and the more we can become aware of it, the better we're going to feel in our body. So you can first focus on taking some deep breaths and being very conscious of the inhale and the exhale and feeling calm with each movement of the breath in each direction. And then start your meditation with a timer, I suggest this, because then you're not thinking about how long has it been and that kind of thing. If you, have, if you don't have any time constraints at all, then you may not need a timer. You can also use a mantra or a prayer or some statement of affirmation. Something, though, that reminds you of your connection to nature, to, to your God, or whatever. So you find something to focus on there. If you need help with the mantra, we can help you with that as well. But choose something that really appeals to you. You know, as you continue to practice regularly, even if it's two or three minutes a day, it will start to make a difference in your life. And then you'll feel that desire to increase it, maybe a little bit more. And the desire to sit longer comes from inside you. And I always say to people that it's important to be gentle and to have persistence. And, and you know, remember, you're not performing. There, there's, nobody's keeping score or watching. But your purpose is really for you to commune with your inner world. So 30 minutes of meditation is enough for most people. Some people might like to have a little more. One can be excessive about anything, so I don't recommend excess. Not meditating eight hours a day is... It it may be good if you're in a monastery, but since most of us are out in the world and that's not recommended. But working with an experienced teacher is also really helpful. What helped me to have my practice be consistent is noticing that on the days I did not meditate, my day did not go as well, starting right from the beginning. And the days I did meditate, even if there were bumps in the road, then I was still able to walk through them with more ease and um, patience. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I get questions about is, you know, what do you do when your mind wanders? When you close your eyes, bring your attention to your breath and watch it. And then you can move on to your mantra. When your mind wanders, you just gently bring it back. So that is the practice of that gently bringing the mind back to whatever you're focusing on, whether it's your breath or the mantra or a prayer. For those of you who need it, we have a guided meditation. We have actually a number of them. We have a free basic tools that will take you through a practice that you can then learn to do on your own, and then you can move on into um, specific topics. Myra, what, in your experience, has been the best benefit to your meditation practice? That I can bring my mind to a focused point at my will. You know, that was something that I really couldn't do before. 
I could, if you asked me to focus on some particular topic, I would be running around thinking about other things. And then the, the true benefit for me, though, is that as my mind has calmed down, uh, not only am I able to stay calm in difficult situations, but when I really am not sure about something on the outside in life, then I can quiet myself and go inside and the answer will come. And I, that is a result of meditation because it, before it was never quiet enough to be able to, to have any sense of what's right or not or uh, what my truth is. So I, I like to think of that as, as hearing the God of my heart. And, and as that has happened, then my life starts to really transform. I grow spiritually, I respond to things differently, and then my interactions are different, so everything changes. You know, regular practice is really what makes the difference. And, and I just want to say again that regular doesn't mean rigid. It, it means that meditation becomes part of our foundation for living. Recognize that it brings peace of mind. And, and you have to ask yourself, you know, why would I not want to do that? Why would I not want to invest just a few minutes in my peace of mind so that I could be you know, a better mother or I could be a better co-worker or a better partner? You know, when we act out of rigidness, we're acting from fear. And usually it's the fear that we might do something wrong or we might miss out on something or we might get punished, whatever it might be. There isn't a perfect meditation. It seems to me that in some ways now I feel like every meditation is just perfect for that moment. You know, but, but when we get attached to perfectionism, then we just start feeding our ego and that really doesn't go in the direction of yoga and that state of union of our body, mind, and spirit, the thing that helps bring that calm mind. Neither does judgment, and I have to uh, check in with myself often. Sometimes my meditation won't be as deep or as focused, and I'll go into judgment about that and the reminders that that's not the practice of yoga to go to that place in my mind and just to be in acceptance is helpful. Yes, yes. So when people come here and experience meditation firsthand and realize how wonderful it is, so many of them want to go back and tell their family and friends about it and to set them up with a practice. Now, is that really the best approach? I always suggest that it's better to lead by example. You know, if somebody's asking you and really requesting, oh, you know, I really want to learn about meditation and that, well, you know, then you give them some resources, of course. But otherwise, it's, it's best if, we, if we're just um, perhaps a little more subtle about it and, um, and, and let them be inspired by noticing the changes in us. And we can start off with just telling them how simple it is and that all they have to do is set the intention to sit and breathe for five minutes and work from there. And then when they're inspired to, they'll ask more and That's right. continue. Yeah. You know, these have been some really great questions today. And, you know, by focusing on meditation and simple eating and taking care of ourselves with some persistence and gentleness, this is a great year. And we can start it off in a healthy way and just have that all the way through. So we're out of time for this show. But remember to post 
questions on our Facebook page or Twitter feed with the hashtag AskHalePule. Thanks for joining us and taking the time to nurture yourself. We really look forward to hearing your questions and connecting with you again on Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga. Aloha. Aloha. Thanks so much for listening to Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga. Don't forget, if you have a question or a topic you'd like us to cover, just submit your question on Facebook or Twitter with the hashtag AskHalePule. That's H-A-L-E-P-U-L-E. And if you want to go deeper on your own path toward health, book a consultation at HalePule.com. In Ayurveda, we understand that we each have a unique constitution. Halipule's tridoshic approach is ideal for families and supports multiple constitutions. You can cultivate sattva in cooking, knowing that you're making meals that support everyone's constitution. Subtle adjustments may be required, but it doesn't need to be a stress point. To learn our tridoshic approach to create nourishing meals, Join Simple Ayurvedic Cooking with Halepule. The recipes are easy, delicious, and will leave you feeling energized. And the link to join is in our show notes.